right down at all your feet. Take you home with me. Would you in my house? Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, I forgot who introduced us, but uh, they must have been pretty important because I'm here. So let's get this shit going. Welcome to Sassholes. We are revenue ops with an edge. With decades of making interesting decisions, Jamie, Jason, and Pete are dedicated to helping aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with our no BS approach to sales leadership strategies and tactics. Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. We'd like to thank the Man Farm Winalytics, Trent S. and Aaron J. for their continued support. Demandfarm.com unlock key account growth, smart software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Go to Demandfarm.com, ask for Ironman. Hey, check out Brent Keltner's Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass at Winalytics.com. In eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in a new buyer environment. Sign your team up for the Masterclass today at Winalytics.com. If you'd like to help us out to improve the quality of our content, go to Patreon.com slash Sassholes. Okay, we got some shout-outs to do. Hey, Ben Dockery, five years at Christ Church Lake Forest. Congratulate Richard Weeman on being promoted to Senior Relationship Specialist at LinkedIn. David Altman, starting a new position as Director of Employee Solutions at Jobcase. Katie Perry, how you doing, friend? Three years at VMware. Ian Mays, one year at Sense. Go Iowa, Ian. Scott Berlant, one year at the Admin Awards. It's the highest honor in the administrative position. Congratulate Brent Weiss, one year at DraftKings. Nikki Ivey, starting a new position as Director of Sales Training at Sell Better by JB Sales. Oh, JB, you got a good one there. Joanna Jaworski, starting a new gig, Account Executive at Salesforce. Mike Philippe, starting a new gig at Strategic Account Executive at Sprout Social. Say hi to everybody over there for me. Mike Sacco, new gig, strategic account executive at Freshworks. Edmar Bonte, going over to Microsoft. Way to go, my friend. Patrick Moy, executive director, product innovation at Deluxe. Larry Long, got a new gig. Well, new position. Go to market advisor at Nevada. He says, hey, man, I'm still doing my gig. Fair enough, Larry. Billy Samoa, Sally B, three years at Inside Out. Hey, Aaron Felton, two years at App Properties. Hey, say hi to Bill. Kyle Rogers, being promoted to business manager at Go-To-Market at Scott May. Aaron Price, got a new gig as regional sales director at Cvent. Kate Panchero, one year at Weed Maps. Natalie Costaleganis, three years at Talent.com. Shanna Rossetti, PHR, one year at Cock Industries. Hey, Nick Espinosa, one year at Human ID. And we got some happy birthdays. Stephanie Sharga DePietro, Brian Farisi, Susan T. Kitten, happy birthday. Another spin around the globe. Enjoy. Hey, Max Schuler, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Uh, for 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 the people then kind of get the uh, intro there, uh, Max, could you kind of give a little bit about yourself, who the hell you are, and why you had nothing better to do than come on this podcast, the Sassholes? 
Yeah, seriously. Uh, yeah, to give you a little bit of background on myself. Uh, started my career at a company called Udemy, online education marketplace, IPO'd last year, built the sales side uh, of that platform through seed uh, A and B rounds of funding. Did some really hacky stuff, uh, built a name for myself, uh, leveraging kind of modern sales technology. We built the um, team of SDRs in the Philippines, did some really cool things and turned that into a conference. Uh, first a meetup, then a conference called Sales Hacker, then into a full-fledged media company, ran that for five years, did some investing and advising during that time, uh, was early in outreach, Gong, Carbon Health, Bombora, Drift, Demandbase, and a couple others. And then um, uh, sold the company in 2018 to outreach, came in, ran marketing uh, for about the first two years, and then moved into a couple other leadership roles across the business for another two years. Uh, while I was there, started the GTM fund, which is what I'm working on right now. Uh, AngelList came out with rolling funds. We had an interesting hypothesis that uh, GTM leaders wanted to diversify. Uh, you know, if you've got two VPs from Salesforce in 2012, one goes to Zoom and the other one goes to, um, you know, some no-name company that doesn't do anything. One makes 25 million, the other one makes zero, and they both spent four years at a company probably doing really great work, but you know, one company's market didn't materialize and the other did. And uh, so we wanted to give GTM leaders a way to diversify and investing and advising is, is time consuming, not just doing the act of, of the investing and advising, but finding the companies. So, you know, we take care of that. We built a community around it. We've got about 250 GTM leaders as LPs in our fund. Uh, we're going out and raising our kind of fund too right now, but we uh, raised and deployed uh, six million last year, about fourteen million this year, plus another three in SPVs, and we'll probably um, do another two or three by the end of this year as well. So, uh, about twenty-five million or so in our first in our first two years. Damn, Carney, how about that? We got a money guy here. But first, sales hacker. How long did you do that, uh, Max? You're a sales guy. You tell me you sell uh, five years. Yeah. Five years and you well five years out. old five years as its own business nine years yeah. total you include the outreach years yeah. you're building up content I'm just telling you it's not easy to do how did yeah. you <laughs> like I did yeah, I did a lot of it for a long time it's not it's not easy I think you know the the key piece to sales hack was to not to make it all about myself and to put other people on a pedestal and so you know we were one of the first publications out there to focus on kind of like modernizing sales. Uh, you know, we, we hit it, the market at the right time. I think 2015 was when a lot of these new sales technologies started to get funding before that you had Salesforce and like sales nav, uh, for LinkedIn. And then, you know, in 2015, you saw a lot of technologies get funded. So we hit it at the right time. Um, you know, we were talking about, you know, modernizing your sales, you know, force via technology, via, you know, this new generation that's come in. Et cetera, et cetera, well before everybody else. Sorry, I got let my dogs in. Who let the dogs out? Yeah, my question Ooh. is who let the dogs out? Exactly. Right. There you go. That's, the, that's what we're really what, trying to find out. What here. sales technology do you think uh, was the best since 2015? And what, what do you think is the most upcoming? What do you think we should look out for? I mean, I'm biased, but outreach, of course. Uh, you know, I'm still holding a, a ton of stock. So I have, obviously have to push that one, promote that well, one. Well, here, what is outreach? Because we got a lot of new sales leaders. They just graduated, uh, you know, sales reps graduated school. They couldn't get a job and what they studied at, at college. So now they're going into sales. What is outreach? 
Yeah. So Outreach created this category called sales engagement and has kind of evolved um, even beyond that since. But the initial category was a system of action. So you've got your CRM that houses all your data. You can make phone calls, you send emails, you send in-mails on LinkedIn, you do all those things. Um, Outreach gives you one single plane of glass to run all those activities and then gives you visibility into you know, what's happening, what are the outcomes of those things? Are they opened? Um, you know, are your emails getting opened? Are emails getting read? Is there, uh, you know, now they, they can, uh, in an advanced way, tell you the sentiment of the email response. So if somebody responds, they respond positively. Great. You're setting up a meeting. If they respond negatively, is this a budget issue, a timing issue? And so you're able to batch things that way. And then because you're able to get the, um, you know, the, the visibility of like what's happening uh, when you send that email or make that call, you're able to understand from the data that comes out of that, uh, you know, what to do next, how to optimize your workflow so you can get better results over time. So that was the initial core technology. And then, uh, you know, Gong was one of the first companies to come out with conversational intelligence and revenue intelligence. So now Outreach has that. And then uh, there's also, uh, you know, a forecasting component. Uh, so there's there's a ton of technology that was created in the last few years that's now finally built for the salesperson. I think like sales budgets didn't really exist outside of like IT for Salesforce and then, you know, LinkedIn sales nav seats. Um, but now you're starting to see, you know, instead of just using marketing's budget, a lot of sales, a lot, lot of sales teams actually have their own budget now. Uh, which yeah, is- I still pay, I still pay for it, Max, out of marketing, but um, I think that's a function of the, <laughs> the size of the company that we are. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a crossing the chasm conversation. Yeah, it's exactly, like you know, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So you're 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 across the chasm. You're, you're you'll get there, but not yet. <laughs> did you have an exit plan, or did you have a biz dev person reach out to you? Because there's some people that you know have their own little businesses that are trying to figure out an exit plan. What? Yeah. How did you do it? Well, I mean, Sales Hacker at that point we had 170,000 subscribers. We were doing joint conferences with Salesforce uh, that hosted like 1,500, 2,000 people at conference who are doing millions of dollars in revenue. So, you know, we had built a, a, a decent sized you know, business out of it. Um, I had enough money in, in, in cash flow to make investments on the side into early, early stage tech companies. Like I said, my, my first check was into outreach uh, pre-seed $3 million valuation. They raised around last year at a $4.4 billion valuation. So I got to see that kind of from zero to hundreds of millions in ARR as an investor. And then, about 25 to hundreds of millions in ARR as an employee, although I'm not allowed to disclose the, the numbers. I don't know if I'm allowed to anymore. I'm not an employee anymore, but I, I won't. Right, right, right. Hey. Um, so, you know, it was, a, it was a lot more than like a content business at that point. It was like a full-fledged media company. I approached Manny. Um, you know, I always kept um, the sales guy in me. I always kept like a spreadsheet of potential acquirers. And I broke it out by SaaS companies, uh, trade show companies, private equity firms, um, consultancies like training consultancies and then uh, analyst firms. I think those were the categories that I had. And so for your analyst firms, it was like Forrester, Gartner, Serious Decisions, Topo. Now a couple of those have gotten gobbled up. Topo is now under Gartner, Serious Decisions now under Forrester. Then there was like the UBMs of the world, which is like trade show, you know, PE firms. Then there's the training consultancies. That's like the Miller Hyman, Sandler, uh, you know, all those big ones. Uh, I think that Corn Ferry ended up gobbling up a bunch of those. Uh, then there was the SaaS companies. So like the companies that paid me were sponsors, you know, of my events. There's HubSpot, LinkedIn, Salesforce, you know, those are the big ones. And then the smaller ones, the up and comers, 
you know, were interesting because they weren't going to be able to pay me as much in cash, but I could take equity and then work for the business and hope that, you know, the business was able to multiply in value uh, like Outreach did. Uh, when I joined Outreach, they had just raised a round at a $515 million valuation. So valuations, what, 9x from, you know, what it was when I joined on the, on the previous valuation. So um, I ended up taking mostly stock. It was like 80-20. And went to Outreach's conference in May of 2018. Said to Manny, hey, you know, congrats on the half a billion dollar valuation, $60 million Series D. What keeps you up at night? He said, marketing. I said, oh, well, you know, I got a media company with 170,000 subscribers that are all your ideal client. And I know how to do this thing. And uh, you got best in class sales software as proven by the round you just raised. Let's make this thing happen. And I, the original plan was not for me to come in and be VP of marketing. I'd never been VP of marketing at a SaaS company before. I was a sales guy and fell into running a media company, but uh, just so just so happened it worked out like that. So, um, and it worked out well. We had, I think, at the peak, I was managing like around thirty or so folks on a marketing team and a fairly large, you know, eight figure marketing budget. So um, it was a great experience. And now I have, you know, as I round out my GTM skill set, the sales side and the marketing side. You know, I feel like I know pretty well. We've had some other money guys on the show, and they're they're talking about there's some pretty sweet deals that are uh, popping up. You got to be licking your chops. Uh, I know you can't give specifics, but what 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 are you seeing out there in the in, in the landscape? What's looking attractive? Which 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 types of uh, businesses? Yeah, we I mean we invest in like early stage B two B software, cloud software. Uh, so, you know, we try to find the next Datadog, the next Okta, the next Twilio, the next Snowflake that that's our world. Um, yeah, we're, I mean, like the, the market coming down and coming back to somewhat normal or even below is great for us. We'll find bargains. We're somewhat insulated from the crazy crashy type stuff because yeah. we're, our companies are pretty far away from being public. Uh, but you are starting to see, I mean, like, you know, 2021 rounds were crazy, uh, no revenue, twenty million on a hundred and twenty million dollar valuation. Like that stuff's not happening anymore. We're back to we're back to discipline, um, which is great for investors. I think it's great for founders too. I think uh, you know the music is always going to stop at some point. So you would rather start right after the music stops than like start right before the music's about to stop because then you can put yourself in a shitty situation having over raised at a too high of a valuation that you're not going to be able to grow into you know, forced to take a down round and a lot of extra dilution, uh, you know, morale in the dumps, all those types of things that come with that um, or potentially not being able to raise it all because nobody wants to touch, touch the cap table because it's all, you know, out of shape. So I think um, the companies that are starting out right now are at a, at a significant advantage. I think the VCs that are investing right now in the early stages are, you know, going to build um, generational, you know, vintages of their, of their funds so we're pre- pretty excited about, um, you know, the opportunity, but, uh, you know, um, it's also a shitty feeling as someone who holds a lot of assets that are pre IPO or post IPO. I mean, the markets are down 50 to 70% or more. So, um, you know, it all balances out, you know, people can be afford to be patient right now. So well, we had Dave, Carney, we had what Dave Berkus on and he said in the, in the last six, seven months, the valuations dropped 50, 60%. I mean, Talk about the music stopping. Damn. Yeah. 
there's a lot of pivoting going on on out there. Yeah, it's 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 down for everyone. Um so that sucks, but you know, if market's cyclical, you know, uh there's the belief that we'll continue to the the Fed will continue to raise rates. They said they wanted to get it to four point two five or four point five percent. It'll hang out there for a little bit by mid next year and the next year, and then we'll feel peak pain and then it'll come back down and growth will cycle back through and you know you'll get out of healthcare and defense stocks like this is the markets and yeah you gotta have a longer view right uh, yeah i mean i think like so the, you can't drive yourself nuts with today the, the buffett expression was uh you know the uh making money in the markets is just the patient taking money from the inpatient um mm -hmm. or you know your your finances are like a bar of soap the more you touch it the more you lose like you, you kind of just got to be patient. And if you, if you if are holding good assets, they're going to be, they're going to be fine. Um, you just have to hold good quality assets. You got to believe in the fundamentals of the business. And what technology on the go-to-market space do you see as up and coming in the next few years that is really small seed stuff that we are looking at today? Yeah. Um, on the go-to-market side, let's see. I mean, there's, I think like one of the hottest trends right now is leveraging AI to do a lot of the creative work for teams. So that's, uh, you know, the new stuff that's coming out with Dali, D-A-L-L-E, which is you just type in what you want and it basically draws you the image or creates the image for you. Uh, the same thing is happening with GTP3, which is, you know, I want an article about X, Y, and Z and it, it types out the entire blog post for you. Um, that is being leveraged in marketing emails and sales emails. Uh, you're also able to use the data that you're getting from, you know, machine learning that allows you to, to dictate how to approach a certain person that you're sending marketing or sales content to. So there's companies like um, Lavender.ai and Reggie.io, I think that are leading the way in this space. Um, there's a company called Draft on the marketing side. There's a company called Pepper Content on the marketing side. But uh, you know what I like about Lavender and Reggie from the sales standpoint is um, it sits in your compose window. And if I'm going to write you an email, it might say something about you, like, hey, this person is um, you know, more formal. They like a formal tone. Their, you know, favorite sports team is X. They just wrote a blog post about Y. Here's the blog post. Whatever it is that I can connect with you on that I can bring up in the content and it surfaces that uh, right there in the compose window. So like you're, you're spending less time and AI and ML is, is helping you write a better email and in some cases writing the email for you. So that's getting really interesting. I think there's there's a company called Jasper AI, which is one of, one of the fastest growing SaaS companies of all time that just went from like zero to 40 million in ARR doing just this. And I don't know what the time frame was, but it was like less than two years in something absurd. Um, so that's the one that's getting a lot of a lot of talk online. In terms of like deeper technology on the on the sales side, there's um definitely a war for pipeline happening right now. And I think just like owning the the kind of top of the funnel down to the closer experience. I think like outreach is outreach wants to be the client that you sit in and run all of your run everything out of. And it creates like an autonomous CRM. Gong is probably the other big one. They want to be in the background 
and let you use everything that you use, but still create autonomous CRM. Uh, there's a couple other companies like Six Sense and others that are that are fighting for um, the sales and marketing side of pipeline and demand gen, demand creation that are really interesting. So um, there are some like somewhat mature companies now that have been like super well funded that are finally getting out of like their wedge stage and into their kind of like full vision, full platform. So I think that that's a fairly interesting stage. And then I think like there's, you know, these new up and comers that are uh, that are pretty interesting as well. If you're you're looking to invest in these businesses, but you've also used a bunch of these uh, services before, how do you get how do you get adoption among the teams? Like it, it sounds the valuations sound awesome, but my practitioner experiences are like buy it, and then you got reps that do the same thing, right? You got a marketing team that does the same thing, and not really adopting it. So how do you how do you work that side of it where you're adopting it and, and really owning it as a company? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like well. Picking the right vendor and then leaning on the vendor and making sure that you're, you know, you're getting, it's almost like getting the extended warranty is like getting professional services. It's worth paying a little extra money for the professional services whenever you get something like at least a fairly robust piece of technology, because then there's like, there's no reason for failure in which they, they can't feel the accountability for it. And they they like then have to go above and beyond to continue to give you the services until it's like fully everybody's fully on board. I think if you don't really have the budget to do that or the technology is not as robust, you know, internally you need to highlight your power users as much as possible and the results that they're getting. Ideally, they're getting great results, better results than the rest of the team because if they're not, then you know that you can probably stop pushing people to use that technology and save your money. So if they really are producing you know, outsized results over the rest of the team, then highlighting that is, you know, is probably going to push people to do it, especially if it's tied to their compensation. So, hey, this person's closing, you know, 20% more than they were last month. And because of that, they're going to make this much money. And what would you do if you can close 20% more? This is why you should start using it. I think like tying that carrot to the stick type thing uh, to comp, um, is really helpful. And then also like people like the recognition, but they also like to see it, you know, in, in person, I think from like a functional standpoint, um, you know, the, the professional services great if you can afford it. If not, you can always look for, um, you know, consultancies that do it, uh, for much cheaper that can come in and do like a day training or something like that. Uh, lastly, I think, you know, one of the biggest things that, that I've, I've heard over the years is reps want to see leadership do it. They want to see leadership buy-in. Like if you, if at the end of the day, if you can't get your people cold calling, the number one thing for you to do as a VP of sales is cold call and like let them watch you cold call. And then they'll be like, Oh wow, they're doing it. I better start doing it. Yeah. I, sure. I, I think we're going to miss the office. Like I, I'm personally, I've been like, okay, I want, I've got bets in the hybrid workspace. Like I've got money behind those things. I hope we can figure that out. But I think the one, the biggest thing that's missing from the in-office experience is the sales floor buzz and the learnings you get from the reps that you're standing next to. And so somebody's got to find a way to replicate that in these kind of hybrid or remote work environments because the teams that are in person that get that are just going to be so much more high performing than the ones that don't. And I've seen it firsthand. I mean, we had we had a kind of a hybrid scenario at outreach when I first joined where 
there were reps in the office in Seattle, maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 reps. And then there were maybe 15, 20 reps all around the country at home in their home offices. Our Seattle reps were our best reps. Doesn't mean they were the most talented reps, but like, it's hard to not be the best rep when like you're, you're just sharing everything that's happening in deals with your peers nonstop serendipitously. Like you just turn around and be like, wow, I just got this really interesting objection I never heard before. Oh, what was it? Oh, let's talk about it. Oh, here's how I would have done it. Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't think about that. And now they know about that, but like they don't necessarily know to raise their hand and go, Hey, sales enablement. Hey, marketing. Like I want to make sure this gets relayed across the rest of the team. Yeah. They're not typing that in the slash. (laughs) Right. So I had it. So like, you know, if, and in the cold call example, as a VP, if you're, you know, barking at the team, y'all need to hit the phones. You're not hitting the phones enough. You need to hit the phones. In in person, you can go to your desk and you can start hitting the phones and they'll look at you and be like, oh, wow, okay, we're going to hit the phones. Remote, it doesn't have that impact. Like, they don't see you doing it too. They don't, like, they don't hear you on the calls. Yeah. So it gets that gets tougher. I think that that's a, a problem that will be solved over time, but hasn't been yet. People are wanting money. You're on the other side of the desk now. What should a pitch deck look like? Is there a such thing anymore? Like, what do you want to, how many pieces of paper, or how many slides is it? What, what do you want to see in front of you to figure out if I'm going to listen to this person for another 30 seconds? Well, it depends on the type of money that they're wanting. It, it's, it's, um, it's been cool to be on the other side of the table twice now. So, you know, as I started my career as a seller and then, became a marketing VP. We have big budgets. We buy stuff. That's what we do. So being on the other side of the table in that situation, that instance, and being, you know, a former salesperson, like I could, I could smell the tactics a mile away. And like that, like the sales tactic type stuff really never worked on me. Um, You know, when I was in a marketing role and I was buying what moved the needle the most for me, uh, probably getting, probably referencing people that I respect in the space or getting those people to put in a good word for me. So like one of the things that I call it like your peer group and your aspiring peer group. When people ping me with like software that I should buy for my marketing team and referenced my competitor was using it. I always thought that was terrible because like, yeah, huge turn off. Yeah. I'm not trying to like, yeah. If I, if we're doing better than our competitor, then like, why would I care what they're using? They're not yeah. doing well. That doesn't make Huge sense. My yeah. peer group is like other people. If I'm at a hundred million in revenue and I'm growing a hundred percent year over year, my peer group is other companies that are in a hundred million in revenue and growing hundred percent year over year. What are they using? My aspirational peer group is people that are at 350 million in revenue growing hundred percent year over year. What are they using? So if you can get one of those CMOs to ping me and say, Hey, we're using this thing. You should check it out or get them to evangelize for it in a group or even reference them in a deal. That's more interesting. That gets that gets you like the into the conversation. I think once we're in the conversation, you know, it it depends what my initiative is at that point. Am I trying to, you know, be more efficient? Am I trying to grow at all co- costs? Am I trying to beat a competitor on, you know, G two crowd? Whatever it is, you gotta you you have to do your discovery and appeal to like whatever the thing is that I'm trying to accomplish at that time. So that's on the marketing side. On the investor side, uh, it's pretty different. Like I like. I like to get things um, sent to me before the call. I, I don't want to like 
have a very shallow conversation and then get on a call and then go deep into it. Like I want to be very well prepared and like uh, excited to be on the phone call to have a larger conversation. So to get me on the phone, I need to see a deck and I need to understand the vision. And I see, I need to understand a, a, a decent amount about the business. The person, the way that I find out about your company oftentimes decides how much I need before the call to get on the call. If there are some people that can give me an intro and I don't need anything, I'll get on the call. They're just, they're like some of the best investors in the world or super well connected. And it's like, wow, if this person is like, Hey, you need to talk to this person. I don't really need anything ahead of time. Just, you know, send me the blurb and what time you're free. Let's go. If it's somebody, you know, who's an acquaintance and, you know, um, somewhat trusted, but I don't know how they are as like a picker of companies. Then it's like, okay, well, tell me about what you're doing. Send me the deck. Let me take a look through it. Let me see if, you know, I'm going to take the first call. Sometimes I'll send the first call to um, Scott or Paul on my team and I'll join for later calls. But, you know, I got to be ruthless with my time uh, a lot more in this, in, in this role. I mean, just in general. Exactly. Be. What's in that deck though, if they're sending over to you, like, <laughs> you got something like this, you got something like three pieces of paper. What? What's I don't need a deck? lot. I don't need a lot. I mean, it, it depends. Um, uh, you know, a lot of times it could be an image in a, in a fucking email. That's just like, Hey, have you ever seen a company do this? And it's a chart. That's a hockey stick. And it's their revenue from the past four quarters. Like we typically don't invest in spreadsheets. We invest in teams and markets because, you know, we're pretty early, but quite often some companies do have revenue. And if it's doing that, uh, you know, Hey, we went from 49 K to a million in ARR so far this year, it's been seven months. You know, we started selling in December. Okay. Uh, you know, let's, let's talk. So what the hell are you doing? Um, in other cases, it's, we are building geospatial mapping and we just built it at Uber and I'm bringing the whole team with me. It's like, okay, I, I just needed to see your team page and like the space that you're playing in. And you've got a pretty compelling why you an unfair advantage in that space. Let's have a conversation. Um, in other cases, some people send me really robust decks in spaces that I'm not really that interested in or think is oversaturated uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll pass on that. Um, or we have too many competitors or we have too much, you know, uh, saturation from our portfolio in that area. Uh, ideally, like we think about our, the capital that we deploy into companies kind of like Moneyball. Like we just try and buy as much of the best assets that we can because of the size of our fund and, uh, you know, our brand, we're able to get into really amazing deals, but we're often not able to get a ton of allocation in those deals. So we have to spread it around a little bit more. I think over the, over the course of the first year and a half, the learning is like, even if it's the best deal in the world, it's tough to put too little into it because then it's like another thing that you, you still have to worry about, like another deal you just have to support. And so you want to make sure you have enough upside in it where, you know, it's going to, it's going to, return the fund or a good portion of the fund. So we've kind of adapted to that model now. So it's kind of this like hybrid moneyball model where, you know, we've, we've modeled it out. We know what we can do. We know what we can deploy. Um, but there are like outlier situations where it's like, Oh, we don't want to make every investment in HR tech. Cause you know, so, sorry, you know. So if you have a, if you're looking at companies right now and they're all series A, series B, series C, series D, what you said there were a couple of investors that when you see they're involved in it, you're like, let's go. 
what are some of those investors? I don't need to know the bad ones. You're obviously not going to talk about the bad ones, but the good ones, you know, like if you see them attached to a certain company, which ones would you say? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that we ever, I don't know that we ever make an investment on that, but I'll take the call without needing too much back and forth. And they're just like some of the, you know, Midas list or tier one investors that we've worked with, you know, over the years. Um, investors that I work with at Outreach that I know are really thorough and thoughtful in their diligence. Um, we do seeds, A's, and B's. So we tend to be, or sorry, we do pre-seed seeds and A's. Sometimes we'll do a B. We tend to be really early stage. So what happens often is some of the later stage VCs, uh, some of the partners at those firms will see deals that are too early for them to do a check from their firm, but it's like a deal that they're tracking. And they'll send it to us and say like, hey, we can't do this. It's too early for us, but you should definitely talk to this team. And so in those situations, it's like, okay, wow, this is a really good signal. It's a strong signal from a tier one firm that's you know a little further. In, in other cases, we've seen that the individual LPs from those firms will write a check into the company uh, as well, if they really believe in it. And now what happens at these firms is... Uh, if they if a individual LP writes a check into a series A, and then by the time they get to a series B, the firm could finally do that deal. The firm then buys out that LP from their individual check as well. So it moves into the uh into the management firm instead in the partnership, instead of this like one LP continuing to have further upside in that. So like it's it's not risky, but it's not super advantageous at times to write a check as an LP into something, if you know that the fund is just going to take it if they write the next check. But oftentimes it does give you a leg up on, on winning the deal on the next round. So like we just look for all, all good signals uh, on these companies. For example, like if we got, if we know the CEO of Okta and they send us a deal and say, this was like one of our best developers for the first eight years of the company. They're spinning off to do their own thing now. And I just put in, you know, 500K of my own money. Do you want this introduction? That's something we'd probably say a quick yes to. It's like, okay, great. This person like built Okta from the very beginning, worked closely with the founder and CEO. And again, it's hypothetical. I'm just using Okta as an example. But like that's an example in which we would take an introduction very seriously and jump directly on a, a phone call. Hey, Max, you got any advice how to pick up the activity on your team? You, you mentioned earlier in the show that keeping them in the office helps out. You had a control group and then, you know, you get a non-control and you saw the positive aspects about bringing them in. But what else can you do to uh, increase the productivity of your team? Metrics come into play? I mean, you know, tracking the right metrics. So like lead and leg indicators. I, I think ultimately that's why things like outreach were developed. And now you're even seeing companies like set sale and a few others um, come into play, which are like uh, uh, incentivizing activities instead of incentivizing the outcomes. So for example, you know, your, your incentive for your outcome closing a deal is your commission check, but you don't have any incentive to like make more calls or send more emails Outreach is a great way for managers to have visibility into who's doing what and what the outcomes of that are and to be able to say to the team, like, hey, I see you're not making a lot of phone calls. You're not closing a lot of deals. My highest performer is making a lot of phone calls. They're closing a lot of deals. Like, I need to coach the These are the people I need to coach up on exactly what I need to coach them up. Then there's things like set sale that incentivize the activity. So if, like, if you make this many calls this week, you get 
X amount of points and those points go towards something else. I think, um, you know, part of that is a generational thing. Like I think, uh, you know, some of the, the newer generation may need more incentive to do those things. I think also, you know, uh, trying to get creative with your team and, and figuring out like giving them a little bit more leash and letting them sell how they like to sell. Uh, you know, maybe people don't like to make a lot of phone calls, but they're crushing it on LinkedIn invites and in mails. Okay. That's fine. That That's that person's, you know, way of doing things. We just have to be on top of them. If it's not, if it's not creating outcomes. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, we well, live in a, a weird world in between generations. Well, okay. Right so we got this new generation coming in. You think pay at risk is going to go away. Commissions are going to go away as long as you're paying a market wage. If somebody's bringing in more money, they get paid more money. Uh, or is there always going to be a certain component that's at risk for commission or bonus? I haven't seen commission going away. I think it's like a, a trendy topic on LinkedIn, but I'm not sure if it's, if it's actually going to happen. So, I mean, I, I'd still say we're pretty far away from some of these things that are that seem pretty drastic and changing in industry. And we also live in our little SaaS bubble where it's like, oh, cool. Like this is clearly innovation and what's happening. And this is the norm and it's a runaway train. I mean, but that SaaS companies are 10, 15,000 companies out of the 200,000 companies that are using CRM uh, on Salesforce out of the 20% of companies that use CRM. So that means there's a million companies that have a CRM. Salesforce has 20% of that, 200,000. SaaS companies represent what, 15,000 of those, 20,000 of those? Like it's still very few people. Like our, our bubble is still very small and nascent and it's growing, which is great, but I don't see commissions going away in, in like the broader sense for a very long time. Max, what can we get out of your book, Hacking Sales? Three books. So Hacking Sales was the first one. I need to to um, put out a volume two. I, I wrote that thing in 2015 and uh, I got to work with Wiley to get a, a, a new edition out. Um, but the, the, the kind of fundamentals of the book still remain true, which is, um, you know, building an early stage sales process, figuring out your ideal customer profile, going out, building lead lists of those ideal customer profiles, figuring out how to scale your outbound efforts. Um, the only thing that needs to be really, you know, updated is some of the newer technology uh, pieces of it. I wrote another book called Career Hacking, uh, mainly focused for millennials and, and folks in their like 20s and early 30s that are trying to figure out how to um, navigate their careers. And then uh, Sales Engagement was my last book that I wrote uh, at Outreach. Uh, we created the category of Sales Engagement, um, which has now evolved quite a bit. Uh, you know, Outreach now calls it a sales execution platform. And so, um, yeah, just, again, fundamentals of leveraging activity technology and things like that. Max, what's the best way for somebody that's got a great business that has great revenues that wants to sell it? Uh, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, if they want to sell the business, I mean, just ping me on LinkedIn and send me a, a quick blurb about what's going on. But yeah, I mean, we're probably not that interested in businesses that want to sell. Uh, there may be some kind of roll up we do in, in sales technology at some point, but uh, we're more for for investment early stages. We want to be at the starting line, not the finish line. Yeah. All right. Appreciate it. Peace out. Thanks.
Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. We'd like to thank the Man Farm Analytics, Trent S. and Aaron J. for their continued support. Demandfarm.com, unlock key account growth, smart software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Go to demandfarm.com, ask for Iron Man. Hey, check out Brent Keltner's Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass at winalytics.com. In eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in a new buyer environment. Sign your team up for the Masterclass today at winalytics.com. If you'd like to help us out to improve the quality of our content, go to patreon.com slash sassholes.